There is a, a saying in our church, and you might not hear it as often, because well, we need to accentuate it more, uh, but we say circles are better than rows. Circles, I, I know it's kind of ironic because you're sitting in a row, but circles are better than rows. What we mean by that is very simple, and that is this. Ask anybody in a new community that's experienced any kind of life transformation, and they will tell you that Sunday might have been a good place for them to begin the journey. But where real life transformation happened is when they sat in a circle with other men and women and did life together. We believe with all of our hearts that life transformation happens in the context of relationships. And the best of our small group ministries are ones in which you will find both a combination of truth, that is God's word, and life, relationships. Best of our small groups are ones in which there is truth and life transference. So my encouragement to you this morning is, as we do this small group fair this morning, and also for the rest of September, stress the importance of small groups. If you can't this morning look around at a group of people and saying, I am doing life with them. If there's not a group of people that you could point to and go, you, 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 I am doing life with you, like for real, for real, life with you. Then you're missing out on a major component of how we follow Jesus in this church. So I want to just encourage you with that. My prayer is that any time, any time during the season, we'd be able to look around and go, I'm doing life with them. I'm doing life with them. So uh, go to the small group fair this morning and and, and, and check out the small groups that are available near you and uh, hopefully small groups that fit with your schedule and your time. So this morning as we, as we continue, as we continue our journey, and the gift of limits. I, I, I'm a little nervous because, boy, this week and next week, and it's kind of a two-parter of a larger series, I'm nervous to preach always for two reasons. One, I struggle with it personally. I personally struggle with it. And when I personally struggle with something, I have a difficult time preaching it with a sense of urgency and authority because I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite. Secondly, also I struggle when it's an extremely difficult sermon because it's difficult to embrace and live into. Today we're going to be talking about finding our strength in weakness. Finding our strength in weakness. Paradox. Paradox from the word paradoxon. A statement that at one level appears to be self-contradictory but is filled with latent truth. Paradox. Bitter. Sweet. Proverbs talks about a wise fool. This is the beginning of the end. I could go on, but I won't. I don't have time this morning. And then when you get into the scripture, you find this paradox. He who is last shall be what? First. And then we come to this for the next two weeks. We come to, you can only be strong to the extent that you are willing to admit that you are weak. You can only be strong 
to the extent that you could admit that you and I are weak. It is to those who embrace our weakness, our limits, as strength comes. So if you're uh, here joining us for the first time, we've been talking about gift of limits. And so here's, here's where we've been. Hopefully a really quick two-minute two summary. We've been saying that we all have limits in our lives. If we would just pause for a moment and think. We have physical limits. We have seasons of life limits. We have capacity limits. We have all kinds of limits in our lives. But we rage against it. We rage against limits. Because we live and breathe a culture that says limits are for losers. Limits are for weak people. That's why many of us this morning are just, just completely worn out. And completely discontented in our hearts. We just war against these limits because we believe the lie that says you're valuable if you're productive. We believe the lie that says you are what you do. And so we wage against these limits. And we talked about the first Sunday how in the book of Genesis, God lays foundation for ultimate reality. He says, I am creating you with limits. This isn't the result of sin or fall. You have limits and it's my good intention for you. God says, there is a tree. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but do not eat from that tree if knowledge of good and evil. What was God saying? What did the tree represent? God said, understand and embrace your limits that I am God, your creature. I am the potter, you are the clay. I am infinite. You have an expiration date. God stresses that we are given limits of his good intentions. And we said it requires trust for her to come around and look at the various limits in our lives and go, I will embrace it. This is a good thing for me. No, we don't. That's how we looked at John the Baptist. An example of a man who embraced his God-given limits. John knew not only who he was, but he also knew who he was not. I am not the Messiah. Say it with me. I am not the Messiah. Say it again. I am not the Messiah. John's words. John lived his life from this perspective, right? John chapter 3, verse 27. Powerful. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. He's saying, I could only receive what God has placed me to do. In other words, I will joyfully and gladly embrace the limits in my life. And I've been saying for the last four weeks, not every kingdom assignment has your name on it. Not every kingdom assignment has your name on it. Stop acting like every kingdom assignment has your name on it. Jesus comes along and he doesn't do everything that he could have done so that he could do that which he was supposed to do. That is save the world, including you and me. Precisely because he didn't do everything. It was, we're doing everything we could do and totally missing out on that which we're supposed to do. Do you know that God has given you limits and said, I have a kingdom assignment for you. Not for him, not for her, for you. Do you know what that is? And are you joyfully embracing whatever that kingdom assignment might be and living into it? Today, uh, 
next Sunday, uh, we are going to talk about limits that come in the form of weaknesses or things that might be, and this is hard for some of us, source of great pain, maybe suffering, disappointment, and possibly heartache. We're going to look at somebody whose intense lifelong struggle with a weakness or a limit caused him at one point to cry out, God, please take it away from me. God, please take it away from me. Anybody pray that prayer? God, will you please take this away from me? If you've ever prayed that prayer, you might be able to relate to this guy named Paul. So today, we're going to look at this big chapter, and I was going to squeeze it all as your pastors want to do in one sermon. Then I took to Carlton, he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Take your time and take two Sundays on it. So I will take two Sundays on it. Cool. Okay? Because I don't, I don't want you to miss this most difficult and yet most life-giving truth. So what I'm going to do today, just just heads up, is I'm just going to lay a foundation for this chapter that we're going to look at. And then we're going to draw out principles next Sunday, okay? So you need to come back next Sunday. I'm going to draw out principles next Sunday. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, open your Bibles there. If you do not have your Bibles as we do always, we are going to flash it up on the screen. But I would hope that you bring your Bibles Bring your phones, whatever. You always have your phones, actually, on your app, whatever you do. Because I want you to track with me. I want you to track with me. Back on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, real quick. And then we're going to jump in. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And among other things, one of the reasons why he writes this letter is to address these people called super apostles. There are these group of guys that came to the church of Corinth and they were saying, we are apostles. Actually, we are better apostles than Paul. We have more authority. We've received these divine revelations from God. And so part of chapter in, in 2 Corinthians is Paul answering these, super, by the way, in Greek, he's actually mocking them. He doesn't call them super. He uses a Greek word, hyper. He calls them hyper apostles or hyper men. And he says, these hyper men that have come along you. And he addresses directly them. Now, here's the thing. If it was just about Paul, Paul wouldn't have cared. He wouldn't have wasted any ink. But they were maligning Paul in order to distort the gospel. And you distort the gospel, and Paul's going to get fired up. So Paul says, you can malign me, but you start messing around with the gospel, I'm going to say something. So, so he responds. But here's the thing. He's responding to them by listing his credentials of what he has done. What he has experienced, but he doesn't want to do it. We're going to see. He hates doing it. He, he is loath to do it. Why? You need to catch this. Paul knows better than anybody else. That it's not human achievement that showcases the grace of God. It's human helplessness. It's not human strength that displays the power of God. It's human weakness. And the fear in Paul is, as he starts talking about his experiences, achievements, and revelations, that it might obscure the grace of God. And that's the last thing Paul wants to do. Now, you and I live and breathe a culture where we love the myth of the superhero because we want to be one. We live and breathe a culture Or if a politician were to come and say, vote for me, 
I am the weakest candidate. People would mock him or her. We don't celebrate weakness. We celebrate strength. And into this culture comes this revolutionary word. You ready? God says you could only be strong to the extent that you are willing to admit you are weak. Let me say it even further. You ready? The greatest danger to you and me is not what you think. The greatest danger to you and me is not our weaknesses. It's our delusion of strength. The greatest weakness for some... Let me put it this way. Success is the last thing some of you need because success might wreck you. Success will utterly wreck you. Into this culture comes this word from God. You want to be strong? You are going to have to fight every inch of your way into the air that you breathe Monday through Friday. See why I'm taking two weeks on this? Okay. Let's dig in. Foundation laid. Draw principle. Second chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting. Remember, he hates doing this. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. If I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Paul's clearly talking about himself. He's talking about himself. I know a man. Why are you talking like that, Paul? I know a man who went to the third heaven. We'll talk about third heaven later. Who went to third. He heard inexpressible things I, within the body or out of the, I don't know. But this man, you mean your, yourself, Paul. No, 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 I'm talking about this man. I want to talk about this man, not myself. Although if I was to talk about myself, I wouldn't be a fool because unlike these fools, what I experienced was true. I mean, Paul is just contorting himself because he hates doing what he's doing. Real quick. Give me like two minutes. Draw one principle before we move on. One of the things I've noticed about people who've had these kinds of encounters, I'm talking about people who've actually been in the presence of God. I'm talking about people who have actually encountered the living God. Do you know that they hate talking about it? There is a holy shyness that comes on them. There's a holy shyness that comes on people who experience That's why when I meet people who are like, I heard from God and he did this and did that and he said this and that, that, and talk about it as if it's an everyday occurrence, I know that what they've experienced is something much lower than what Paul, when you encounter God, there's a holy shyness that comes about yourself. On the other hand, there's a holy boldness that comes about talking about Jesus. It's really weird. 
people who've genuinely, you know, some of you all know what I'm talking about. Say amen. They've encountered, like truly encountered God. There's a holy shyness about that encounter and talking about themselves. But when it comes to Jesus, look at Paul. Guy who hates doing what he's doing. When he came to Jesus, he is standing on a corner out in the public square saying, I need you to hear about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. A holy shyness, but a holy boldness. Mark of someone truly encountered Jesus. Why is this important? Real quick. You and I live in a culture that says, your faith is your thing. Keep it private. Keep it private. Don't bring it out. Christianity, the essence of Christianity says there is a world of difference between a personal faith, that is, you have to own it. You don't own it vicariously through your parents. You have to own a personal faith. But there's a world of difference between a personal faith and a private faith, where it says, keep it to yourself. Don't bring it up. The essence of Christianity says your faith, my faith, is not a private thing. It's supposed to be lived out. It's supposed to be talked about. It's supposed to be shared out in utter humility out there. You know what our world needs more of? People, because who've genuinely encountered God, have a holy shyness about themselves, but a holy boldness about Jesus. Is that you? Is that you? Is it me? Is it us? Paul goes on. Verse 5, verse 6. But I refrain. <laughs> and I love this. So this I put it in caps. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. He's saying, I don't want you to think more of me than you should. I don't want you to fool you into thinking that I am more than what I actually am. And us? We live our lives desperately trying to get people to think more of us than we actually are. Anybody? We actually want people to think we're more spiritual than we actually are. That we're smarter than we actually are. That we're more, and the list goes on and on. Guys, guys, come on, come on. Isn't that why we live without limits? Isn't that why some of us live without limits? We're not comfortable in our skin. We're not comfortable with who we are. Isn't that why we live without limits? How many of us here say, I don't want you to think of me more than what I am. I, I don't want you to actually believe that I am somebody that I'm not. All of us, we are constantly trying to get people to think more of us than we actually are. And then why some of us are so tired? It's like we're on perpetual first dates. <laughs> on our first dates... The whole goal is to get that person to think more of us than we actually are. And then why you're so exhausted afterwards, you're pretending the whole time. You know why I say this real quick, and then I move on. When that happens in the church, it's toxic. When that happens in the church in here, it's toxic and destructive. When a church culture actually says it's okay to pretend to be more than we actually are, it turns toxic real quick. Can I get an amen? amen. When a church no longer becomes that place 
where spiritually broken and hurting people could come as they actually are and not feel the need to pretend that no longer becomes the church of Jesus Christ. The church needs to be that one place where regardless of who you are, what your Monday through Saturday was like, you could walk in here and say, I don't have to pretend to be more than I actually am. I don't have to pretend to be more than... Is that true here? Is that true here? Is this a place where you and I could come and say, I don't want you to think more than I actually am. When you pretend, you block the flow of the Spirit's work. When we pretend to be more than we actually are, we disrupt community. When we pretend especially spiritually, to be more than we actually are, we miss out on what God wants to do. Verse 6, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Don't miss this. Paul is literally saying, this experience is not the basis for my authority as an apostle, which is what the super apostle is saying. It's my experience that gives me authority. What is Paul saying? Paul literally says, no, no, no. The authority, he says, comes And it should come because of what I do and what I say. In other words, Paul is literally saying, if I've had experiences of God, it should show in my character. It should show in my life. If I've had experiences of God, it should show in the way that I live. Paul is saying, here's what my authority, don't, don't. Look at these experiences. If I've truly encountered God, you ought to look at me and go, he's encountered God. How do you know? Look at his transparency. Look at the integrity. Look at his life. Look at his life. And you know what's so powerful? What's so powerful is that Paul had all sorts of incredible experiences. Read the book of Acts. Look at his conversion for crying out loud. Damascus Road. You talk about divine experience. He, I mean, he, he is one of the apostles who says, I, I saw Jesus. Divine dreams. God used him to heal, to raise people from the dead. But Paul literally says here, this experience, what I experienced 14 years ago, makes this more powerful than anything else. Everything else pales in comparison. By the way, do you know what a third heaven is? It's a traditional way in the ancient world where it says the first heaven was the atmosphere. The second heaven was the stars and the moon. And the third heaven was the very presence of God. That's what third heaven, Paul's saying, I was there. I I don't know if it was in a vision or if I was taken up in the body, but I was there. Right there in the very throne room, very presence of God. But you know, it's so incredible. You see what he says about why he encountered it? Why he was given that access? Is he saying because I was an apostle or I was super extraordinarily gifted, unlike you mortals? Do you know what he has the audacity to say? And if you're not awake this morning from the gospel, do you know what Paul says about why he encountered it? Look at verse 2 again. Do you remember what he said? I know a man in Christ 
who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Jesus. Jesus. What is Paul saying? He's saying, do you know what it means to be in Christ? Do you know what it means to be in Christ and to be clothed with Christ? Do you know what it means? Paul says, when you are in Christ, to be clothed in Christ, that means when God sees us, he doesn't see us as we see us. He sees us what? As, 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 as what? As, as he sees Jesus. Is that good news to anybody this morning? Paul says, when you are in Christ, when you are clothed with Christ, when God sees you, he doesn't see your record. He sees the record of Jesus. Hello, anybody? He doesn't see your past. He sees Christ's past. When you are in Christ, clothed with Christ, when God sees you, he sees Jesus, which means access into the very presence of God, the kind of access that Paul had for anybody who is in Christ. Is that good news? The promise there is, this thing that I encountered, it's not just for super. He says, are you in Christ? This is why Hebrews chapter 4 says, why church? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I got to ask, are you taking advantage of this privilege? Are you taking advantage of this access? Uh, uh, You and I, who are in Christ, given access to the third heaven, the very throne presence of our God. I got to move on. It's too amazing and wonderful and convicting to be totally truthful, to wrap my mind around that. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Hard verse. Hard verse. Let's unpack it. Paul says that I was in great danger of the toxic and destructive sin of pride. And God opposes what? The proud. But gives grace to the humble. Paul understands that the primary barrier to God, the primary barrier to God is our pride. Paul understands that the sin, the sin that stands in the way of our relationship with God is a sin of pride. And church, I don't have long this morning to get into this, but what is the sin of pride? In its essence, the sin of pride is the desire to be our own gods. The sin of pride is the desire to be our own lords and our own masters. 
The sin of pride fundamentally is living with the illusion that we can be independent, that we are self-sufficient, and that we are self-reliant. The essence of pride is thinking that we could do life without God or anybody else. The essence of sin is living without God-given limits. It was the first sin that led to Satan's fall. And from that sin of pride flows everything else. And Paul says, here's the foundational truth about reality. And if you you and I miss this truth, what Paul says for the rest of this chapter in in terms of how we find strength and weakness will not only not make any sense, but it will be awfully difficult to understand. Listen, What Paul says, here's a foundational truth about reality. That is this. When God created us, he didn't create us for independent living. He created us. He designed us to live in dependence on him. God did not create us to live independently. He created us. He designed us to live in dependence on him. Add to the fact that sin has left us broken and weak. Theologians call it total depravity. And that doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be. But that sin has had a total effect on all that we are. So independent strength is a great delusion. Independent strength. I don't need anybody. I can do it. Independence, self-reliance, self-sufficiency is a great delusion. That means that our weakness is not the great danger to us that we think it is. The great danger to us is what? It's our delusion of strength. The great danger to us, church, is a great delusion of strength. That means that the great danger for many of us, if not most of us, is that we think that we're strong. But if we think that we're strong, we will not seek help from the only source of help. The only source of help and the one who provides strength for all that we need. It's our delusion of strength that blocks us from the flow of the Spirit. And so Paul says, in order to, he says, keep me from becoming proud, arrogant, full of myself, to keep me humble from the word hummus and its origin of the earth, to keep us grounded, he says, there was given me. In other words, Paul sees this weakness, this limit, as a gift. As a gift. You cannot see limits or weaknesses as a gift if you and I don't realize that God thinks humility is more important than our comfort. You will not be able to see weaknesses and limits as a gift if you do not realize that God thinks humility is more important than freedom from pain. 
God says. So in order, Paul says, in order to keep us humble and grounded in his love, God will allow circumstances, situations, weaknesses, limits, thorns to keep us dependent, to keep us reliant, to keep us desperate for him, to keep us in utter dependence on him. And church, when you and I realize that, realize that limits and weaknesses are not foreign, inconvenient intrusions into our everyday normal lives, but God sends weaknesses and limits as an act of his amazing grace. Because it's those weaknesses that keep us aware of his rescuing, transforming, empowering grace. It's the hopelessness of weakness that opens the door to the hope of real strength. Weaknesses are not the great dangers to our souls that we think It is the great danger to many of us in our souls is our delusion of strength, thinking that we are independent, self-sufficient, and self-reliant. Weaknesses might be the only thing that keeps us from the illusion and the arrogance of self-reliance that tempts us all. Weaknesses might be the only thing that reminds us that we can't do life on our own and that we need him every second, every moment of our lives. Weaknesses in the form of limits might be the only thing that causes us to stop and saying, maybe I am designed to need him every second, every moment, and not once in a while when I'm in trouble. Weaknesses and limits might be God's act of saving grace that keeps us humble and grounded. Oh, oh. I feel like I'm preaching to a wall. Are you hearing me, church? Could it be our weaknesses as an act of his amazing grace that keeps us from living this illusion of independence, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance? Could it be this illusion of self-reliance that keeps the flow of the Holy Spirit working in and through us? Verse 7, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Do you know what thorns were? Look, what a word picture. Thorns literally were these humongous stakes that armies put up to keep the enemy from advancing and progressing. And the word torment is a terrible translation. The King James Version, which I don't quote often, says buffet. Buffet literally means to discourage. You know what thorns are? Thorns and limits are things that God keeps 
that God places in our lives to keep us from what? Charging ahead without even a thought to, God, what do you think? Thorns and limits in our lives are the very things that keep some of us from charging ahead. I'm going to take life by the horns and reminding us, you're not in control. He is. Thorns are things that God lovingly places in our lives to do things like what? Reveal our true condition, that we're weak, that we're helpless, that we're dependent on him at all times. Thorns are stakes that God puts in our lives to slow us down, to slow us down, to slow us down. Let me ask you a question. Are you charging ahead in life without a thought to God? You know that man or woman you want to marry? Have you consulted God about it? Uh, That career change that you're thinking about. Did you fall flat on your face and ask God for his direction? Think about how you use your sexuality and your money. You think this is for somebody else, don't you? That message is for somebody else. Do you think that maybe the most gracious thing God can do is to put stakes and thorns to slow you down? To keep you from charging ahead? Do you think maybe it is an act of amazing grace? How acutely aware are you? How acutely aware are you, church, of your need for him every second? Every moment? I mean, seriously. How acutely aware are you of your need for his spirit in your life? You know what Paul Storm was? We don't know. We don't know. Theologians are divided. Some say it was a physical ailment. He had an eye disease or he struggled with seizures. Some say it was a spiritual issue. Like he was prone to anger, outbursts, perhaps even lust. But how wise for Paul to not say what the thorn was. You know why? So that you and I could identify with. See, if Paul came out and said, I struggle with lust, like 2% of the men would be like, I don't struggle with that. That's somebody else's issue. And the 2% of you here would be like, I don't need to struggle. It's more like actually 0.2% is what I meant to say. If Paul had come and said, what? It's an eye disease. You would go, why? I don't struggle with it. You see what I'm saying? The author and the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit, through Paul says, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Why? Because you have it. Do you know what it is? Ah, Do you know what it is? I love, 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 love. Eugene Peters is a message version translation. I love it. Do you know what he says about this verse? I'm going to read it to you next week, the whole thing. Because of the extravagance of these revolutions, so I wouldn't get a big head. I was, by the way, how many of us have big heads? 
Yeah. Okay, so we could all relate. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Do you know what thorn is? A thorn is a gift that keeps you in touch with your limitations. A thorn is a gift that keeps you saying, I'm weak. I'm fragile. I'm not all that. I can't. As I thought about it, I was tempted not to talk about kinds of thorns that we wrestle with because, again, I don't want you to sit there and go, nope, 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 I'm good. But, but, but to give you a perspective, be serious. Thorns for some of us, it's our past. Some of us have things from our past that just haunts us. And even though we know we've been forgiven, maybe you're someone here I'm feeling a check in my spirit saying don't go there so I'm not. Our past. I try and think about Paul who was responsible for the murder, murder of Christians. And I think about how for the rest of his life there were moments even though he knew he was forgiven he would have memories of cheering when they stoned Stephen. For some of us, it's literally physical disability. For some of us, it's addictions. It's addic- some of us are coming out of AA. See, there's other people in here that could have a glass of wine too. Fine, you, a drop of alcohol. And as you spiral, I talked about lust. For some men in here, they could watch certain movies, be okay. For some of you, even a suggestive commercial and you're done. For some of us, it comes in the form, maybe, of our family of origin, our families and what we've inherited from them and the effects of that that you know that you might carry. For some of us, it might be the soul, the deep, deep soul ache that sometimes comes with being single and wanting to be married to hear God say, no, no, not yet. For some of us, it might be a marriage that is in trouble, a marriage in which we're lonely. Here's the question that I need you to carry with you for seven days until you come back next week. That is this, what keeps you in touch with your limitations? What keeps you in touch with your limitations? Ask yourself honestly, what limits remind you that you're weak? 
What limits put you in touch with how fragile, helpless you are apart from Christ? What limits shatter the lie that we can be anything we want to be and do anything we want to do without repercussions? What keeps you and me? What limits keeps us on our knees and saying, God, I just can't. And if you're sitting here going, dude, I can't relate. I can't think of nothing. You are under the delusion of strength. And at some point, life, the world, will make you intimately acquainted with your limits. Is that a threat, Peter? Uh, It's called speaking the truth in love. And for those of us, I need to end here, who sit here going, this is too close to home. Do you know how many times, Peter, I've cried out? Look at Paul. I'm going to just read this. See if you can come on up. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I am fragile, when I am desperate, when I am at my wit's end, when I have thrown my hands up and saying, I can't, that is when I am strong. I don't have time to unpack this today. But let me give you why you need to be here next week. Do you know where our strength is found? Do you know if you are that person saying, God, I don't want to struggle with this anymore. Please take it away. Please take it away. Do you know what God's word is? 2 Corinthians 2.9 has been translated for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is what literally in Greek It says, in Greek, it literally says, sufficient for you is the grace of me. It's not just my grace is sufficient for you. Literally, God says, Sufficient for you is what? It's the grace of me. What is his sufficient grace? It's the gift of what? Say it with me. It's the gift of himself. It's the gift of himself. Jesus doesn't do what your pharmacist does in your weakness. He says, take a couple pills and see me in the morning. He says, I am your strength. I am your provision. I am your all in all. I am your sufficient grace. Is that good news? Sufficient for you is the grace of me, 
Jesus says. He doesn't just go, let me help. He says, I have promised you, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. The one who says, I am with you till the very end of the age. That, Jesus says, I am your See this coming week? Think about the place where you meet God. That chair in your home, kitchen table, it could be in your car as you're going to work, it could be at your desk and office, it could be on lunch break as you walk outside, it could be for a run. Think about a place you meet with God and think about how often we enter and we leave God's sufficient grace right there because we're so busy moving on to the next thing. You don't experience this grace like it falls from the sky. You experience this grace when you stand still long enough that you could drink deeply from the only well that will quench your thirst. That is Jesus. Sufficient for you is the grace. What does that look like? How's it lived out? So we're going to talk about it next week. Do you know what though? Today, anybody here this morning, just at that place where you are very intimately acquainted and in touch with your limitations, you know who I'm talking about, right? If that's you, will you stand from where you are? Stand up, come on. Stand up from where, if you this morning, you, 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 hear from the Spirit of God saying, my child, my child, that limit, that weakness, that thorn. Is there anybody else? The reason I'm asking you to stand is because I'm going to wait till if you need to stand, stand, because I'm going to pray a prayer for us, including me. I'm going to pray a prayer for us, and then we're going to close out in song. So I'm going to wait. If you are somebody that's come this morning and you are intimately familiar and acquainted, saying, God, I can't, I can't take another step. I am so weak. I'm so helpless. I am so utterly weak and helpless. If you're standing, here's what I want you to do with me, okay? The reason why we raise our hands in worship, one of the reasons, not only founded Psalms, but it's an act of surrender, you see. It's just as my children, when they want to be picked up, when they want to be carried, they lift their hands in humble surrender to say, I need you, I need your help, I can't do this can't fight this battle on my own. I can't fight this battle on my own. That's why we raise our hands in worship, you see. It's an act of humility, an act of surrender, act of dependence. So those of you that are standing, you don't have to raise it super high. Just extend your arms in front of you. 
as I pray for us. We hear your words sufficient for you is the grace of me. You are our grace. You are our power. You are our strength. You are my life. You are my all in all. You are my hope. You are my peace. You are my joy. You, Jesus. You, Jesus. You, Jesus. You, Jesus. You, Jesus. You. We lift our hands and surrender and dependence and utter brokenness to say, we, I need you. I need you. I desperately need you. And even in the midst of this journey of pursuing healing, redemption, forgiveness, of fighting the good fight with that sin, of, of, of pursuing you, even in the midst of this battle, we hear your voice that says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You need proof. I hung on the cross. If I didn't abandon you there, I will not abandon you now. We Acknowledge your presence and your name. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God. The greatest news for those of you that are standing right now The greatest news is that it is the weak and the foolish, God says, that I choose to display my power, which means you might be the most qualified candidate to showcase his power and his strength. You, in your weakness, in your desperation, you. of the worship team will lead us in this final song as we pray our tithes and offering I want to encourage you church to stand with me right now as we close 